Well, look at you guys. Your guys' memory is much better than mine. Can you take it down? Because I always need 37 reminders. And then even today, I was like, oh my gosh, I got church today. <laughs> Just kidding. I was prepared. Maybe. Well, we are in Ruth chapter 4, closing out this book, Lord willing. And then we're going to start 1 Samuel next week. So let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to pick up right where we left off. Tremendous suspense last week with Boaz and Ruth having that discussion. Boaz giving the news after Ruth asks him pretty much to marry her, her. And then Boaz says, you know, yep, that's great. Thank you for picking this old guy. At least we think that might be the case. But he says, there's another one nearer than I. And then he tells her to go home, to wait. We saw that she did that. And then now we're going to see as Boaz steps up to the plate and it's his turn uh, to do the work. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We pray that you would teach us this evening. We pray for a fresh filling of your spirit. We pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us and that we would also, as we go into Thanksgiving in the next few days, Lord, and a holiday break for some, that we would truly find rest for our souls, that we would turn to you with thankful hearts for all that you've given us and even just the ability to recognize being thankful, Father. And so we pray that you would lead us this evening as we find that rest in you, in Jesus' name, amen. Ruth chapter 4 Let's read verses 1 through 6. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend. Sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it. And I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, You must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead throughout through his inheritance. Verse six. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, there is so much to unpack here. We read this and it just it doesn't make much sense. Culturally, it doesn't make much sense. It seems like this transaction is not a really big deal. This is a huge deal for a variety of reasons. Let's build some background, and then we want to look at the application. So the background is, when it says he's going to the city gates, to us, that doesn't mean anything. The gate, what does that mean? But this was their courtroom. This was their marketplace. This was the stock market. This was all those things wrapped up into one. And so you would have a city or a large town, as we would think of it, and it would be enclosed in a gate, and everything comes in through those walls, through that gate. And the elders of the city will sit inside that courtyard when the gate comes in. They do that for a variety of reasons. That is the information hub. So all the runners, all the messengers, all the news is going to come through that gate. All the market, the caravans, all the goods are going to come in through that gate. 
all of your enemies, all of the thieves, all of the people trying to sneak in are going to go in through that. So this is the closest place to all the information. And so these city elders are sitting there. They're also going to be doing a judicial process if there's criminals or crimes that have been committed. Who does what? What is the punishment? Interpretation of the scripture or the Bible at that time. And then also, as we talked about, business dealings are being done. And this is going to be certified publicly. Shaking of hands and a couple of different cultural things we see. Public proclamation with witnesses. It is sealed. Done deal. So when we're talking about the redemption of the property, this is a legal transaction that has to be taking place. Now, Boaz knows who this guy is. The scripture says, when, and here in the New King James Version, come aside, friend, sit down here. He knows what his name is, but the scripture is very kind because it is never recorded what his name is. Because he was supposed to redeem this. He was supposed to be the nearest kinsman redeemer. Saying no is a dishonor. Like You're saying you're not going to protect your family legacy. You're not going to protect your tribe. You're not going to protect that property. You're saying you want somebody else to fulfill that honor. But in grace, it literally in the Hebrews like Mr. So-and-so, come aside here. And he is protected for all time and eternity because this was always God's plan. Now, Boaz has had this conversation with this man. And as he has this conversation with this man, he's dropping it on him. Hey, there's an opportunity to redeem this. But what does he start this conversation with? And this is where we're going to go to a little bit more application. He starts this conversation with, hey, there's some property. There's a property that needs to be redeemed to the tribe. And this is like good news. This is an investment opportunity here. Property, land, in an agricultural society is like having real estate or stock options today. This is a vehicle for wealth and security. And he says, of course I'm going to redeem it. Yes, I want to redeem this thing. But then what does Boaz say? Second, he says, oh, well, by the way, you know, Naomi and her family, you know, the dead, you got to redeem the property from here. But I forgot to tell you, you also have to redeem Ruth the Moabitess. Now, notice how he makes sure she knows that she is a Moabitess. Yeah, by the way, you can't just buy the property. You got to marry this girl and have kids with her. You have to marry this Gentile, non-Jewish woman, a Moabite, and have children with her. Oh, I know that's not culturally good right now and your wife might have something to say about that as well but you know the law you know you gotta do this and then how does he respond this closer redeemer this nameless man he says i cannot redeem it verse six for myself lest i ruin my own inheritance what does that mean it's most likely that not only does he have a wife at home he has kids and so if he has kids his eldest son is going to receive all of the property and that's going to perpetuate that line. But if he redeems Ruth the Moabite's property, that property and part of the inheritance needs to go to that family because that family now is being redeemed. It's being brought back from nothing because they have no kids. Remember, we've been talking about how we look at these transactions in a 21st century, 20th century 
love ga- goggles. Everything's based on our feelings, and we just follow our heart, and we make ourselves happy. Well, that is just so totally foreign to them in this time period, especially when it comes to marriages, especially in ancient Israel where the entire law is based on the family and the property, the land, and keeping it in those tribes. And so he goes from, oh gosh, I got this great investment opportunity, we're going to do great to our family, to, oh no, my family's going to have some problems if we do this. I better not. But then what does Boaz say? Hey, you know, if you can't do it though, I want to do this. I want to do this. What's the application though? Like what, what does this mean to us other than learning some strange history lessons? You know, unfortunately, our society believes that Christians are dumb and naive. We're just dumb, mindless drones. We don't question anything. We just live by faith. We close our eyes and we just let Jesus have the wheel, they say. But Boaz is incredibly cunning. And he is using his intelligence to fulfill this plan. Remember, he told Ruth, go home. I got this under control. You go home and you wait with your mom, Naomi. I'm so grateful for you and everything you've done and coming to me. She asked him to marry marry her, remember? And he says, I got this. You're under my wings. You're under my protection now. And he has planned this whole thing out. Jesus tells us that we're to be wise as serpent and as gentle as doves. And Boaz is not doing anything wrong. He is not lying. But he is being incredibly intelligent to get the woman that he wants the family that he wants, and the property that he wants. And so he was very intelligent. He waits until he comes through the city gates. Remember what he told Ruth in the last chapter. Don't let anyone know I want to redeem you and your family. Remember that? He said, keep it quiet. And so she had to go home and be quiet, and thankfully she was. Why? It's part of the plan. See, when Boaz is having this discussion with him, this is the first he's ever heard of it. He has no time to plan. The, the closer redeemer has no time to figure out how to manipulate this situation. He has no time to decide, hey, well, you know what? Ruth is kind of good looking. And, you know, my wife, she is getting a little older. You know, maybe I do want to make this decision. No, he, d- he gives them no time. And it's right there in front of the city gates. So this is right at the time of the decision making. And this is a very important subject. And then remember, he also started with the property first. He didn't come up to him and say, you know, um, this girl came to me in the middle of the night. I really want to marry her. Do you mind if I do that? Well, yeah, you know, maybe we can strike a deal. No, he doesn't give the closer redeemer any opportunity to negotiate. He sets the trap and he springs the trap. He has got no time to plan, use it against him, has a business transaction. I got this property available oh, by the way, you're going to have to do this. Guy has no time to think about it. What does he say? Oh, no, I don't like the consequences. I'm not going to do this. Boaz is super, super sharp. Guys, we're called to do the same thing. We are called to do the same thing. We're not called to be naive. We're not called to be manipulated. We're not called to be soft. It's nowhere in the book whatsoever. But why is it that the culture perpetuates this? And I can tell you right now, the enemy uses it. And that's why proportionally, not in our churches, but in most other churches, the church is full of ladies. Like 75% to 25%. 75% ladies, 25% men. And the men stay home because they don't think, they go, well, they're just going to sissify me. 
Well, that's not what I'm seeing here in the text. Boaz is highly intelligent. He uses that intelligence to further himself and his family, and he does it without lying. He does it without conning anyone. He's just intelligent. And he really wants what he wants. He wants to get this girl. And he is going to do it in an upstanding way because they're not done now. Uh, we just had the discussion. That's it. Just had the planning. He just laid the catch. Guy didn't want to play the catch. He didn't want to have that of Moabitess in his household. So now, what's the next step? How are they going to go forward? So let's read verses 7 through 12. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal, gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal, and Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that is Elimelech's and all that was Chilean's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Verse 10. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among the, his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore into Judah because of the offspring from which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So this is a legal contract, and he is saying these things. Now, I want us to understand what has happened with this transaction, because what does this mean? You know, he took his sandal off, he took his shoe off, and he handed it to him. The law states that if you do not redeem your family, if you do not redeem your tribe, the territory, perform your duties as the Goel, the Kingsman Redeemer, which we talked about in detail last week. You have to be able to free the slave of your own family. You have to be able to redeem the property. You have to be able to redeem the uh, family line, the different areas that you are a kinsman redeemer. If you don't do this, then th someone is to come to you, spit in your face, and hit you in the face with a shoe, which to this day in the Arabic world, having a shoe touch you or having a shoe uh, be thrown at you is the ultimate insult. You cannot have a higher insult. You guys remember, some of us are a little bit older, um, back during the Iraq war, that Iraqi newspaper reporter, what did he do? He grabbed that shoe and he threw it at George Bush. You guys remember that? That was a huge deal. To us, we were like, oh, that's kind of weird. Why didn't Secret Service handle this guy? But in that culture, they knew exactly what was, do what was going on. That is like a pie to the face, the middle finger, and anything else you can think of all rolled into one. This is the ultimate insult. And that's what's supposed to happen to this guy. But is that what Boaz does to him? No. They perform the bare minimum requirement, which is he hands him the shoe. He just hands it to him. See, he wants him to save face. He wants him to feel good about this. So I'm going to give you guys and gals a business tip, a life tip. If you want someone to go in a direction, 
Maybe they have different options available to them. And they want to go and pick option A, but you want them to pick option B instead. Make option B the easiest way out because people will take the path of least resistance. They will take the easier way out. And so Boaz is making it as easy as possible for this guy to go and do something very difficult to the point where his name is not even recorded and they do not fulfill this law to the end. Just hands them the sandal. That's it. We're going to perform it. Yep, I say it's okay. Here you go. Transaction's complete. Because what is his focus? What does he want? Boaz doesn't even care about the property. At least that's what we think because of his conversation with Ruth. What did he want? He said, moreover, verse 10, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife. That's what he wanted. That's what he said last chapter. Remember, he said there's a closer redeemer, but he didn't tell Ruth in chapter three, oh yeah, I'm so grateful I had this opportunity to buy your property back. What did he say? He said, I'm so grateful that you have come to me to be your redeemer when there's another one that's even closer. So he wants her. He wants this family, whatever that means. And so he is doing everything he can in an upstanding manner in front of the city, in front of the elders, and in front of this man to make that possible. He is so gracious. And he doesn't rub it in their faces. I mean, you guys know how prideful and arrogant I could be. I'd be like, I got you, sucker. <laughs> I've been wanting to do this the whole time. I can't believe you fell for it. I mean, I would be tempted to do that. I might keep it to myself, but not Boaz. He is so gracious and magnanimous in this situation. And we should all be learning to do that, to be like that ourselves. This is a long, long way from chapter one, isn't it? And we see some names here that we haven't seen. Chilion, Malon, you know, Naomi, you know, Naomi is brought up again. She had a husband. The two daughters-in-law had husbands. These were Naomi's son. Naomi has lost everything coming into this book. When we came into the book of Ruth, her husband that she had been with died. Her sons had died. She had no more children. She had two daughters-in-law, and one of them took off. And the only one that stood by her and stayed with her was Ruth through all of the hardship. And here they are all the way at the end of the book. And Boaz is standing before the city gates and the elders and he has redeemed the family. Because he is performing his duties, because he wants his bride, Ruth and Naomi's line is going to continue and the line and the lineage of her husband that name, that family name is going to continue. And that's going to be super important now as we read verses 13 through 16 because it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Wow. 
What did Naomi change her name to earlier on? It, it meant that she was the forsaken one of God, that God had abandoned her, that she had gone through so much. And then now, Naomi, grandma, has that baby. That name is continuing. And it carries her husband's name. Because remember, this is the point of the Redeemer, redeeming that family, that family line. That last name is the same last name as her sons, who have both passed away. And the Lord has brought that back and redeemed her through Boaz, through Ruth, through a Moabitess. This family line is going to continue. Now, I want to point out a couple different things because we want to keep this real. Number one, especially ladies who are having a hard time bearing children. The Bible just says to her, gave her conception and she bore a son. If only it were that easy for some, right? Now, for others, they get terrified because they get it so easy. They're like, what just happened? And it's different for everybody. And we see in the Bible, there's sometimes where people struggle. There's sometimes where it's super easy. It just is the same reflection on life. This is life now. Because that brings me to my next point here. This family and this story is unique. This is a unique miracle family in this situation. The reason I say that is because there are people here in this building right now or people that you will interact with where they have lost loved ones, they have lost family members, they have gone through divorces, they have gone through difficult times. And you may be tempted to be like, well, you know, just like Naomi, everything's going to be fine. Your Prince Charming is going to come. That is not life. That is not real life. We do not live in a fairy tale. That can happen, but it is unique. That is why we find our fulfillment in God and not in another person. We don't find our fulfillment in relationships. We don't find our fulfillment in our children. We don't find fulfillment in outside circumstances because God was just as much with Naomi coming back from the land of Moab as she is now. Our fulfillment comes from the Lord in whatever circumstances we're in. Because just as much as we should rejoice at this story just as much as we should rejoice at this and we should enjoy it when it happens i want to make sure that there are other people that we interact with that see this story and hear this story and say this doesn't work i don't see this in reality that god's not real this is a fairy tale because sometimes it does happen and it's awesome and we need to rejoice together but we also need to see times like i'll use a different example Uriah the Hittite does not come back from death. Who's Uriah the Hittite? What happened there? David, a man after God's own heart, God declared that himself, killed Uriah the Hittite, who was an honorable man and did everything right so that David could take his wife Bathsheba. So he had Uriah killed and he took Bathsheba. Uriah was a righteous man. Why didn't God save him? Why did God allow that to happen? Why does he call David a man after God's own heart and allow a circumstance like that to happen? I don't know. He's God. He sits in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. I don't think Uriah is complaining about it right now in the presence of God, though. I think a couple millennia in front of the throne room of God will change our perspective on a lot of things. But I say these things 
because we have a real God for real problems with real families and you're going to interact with different people in different ways and we don't want fairy tale Jesus. We want died on the cross, saved our souls and is redeeming me and changing me, Jesus, in any circumstance. Our fulfillment is in him because I hear too many pastors preaching this and just loving that this is like a love story. This is a Disney movie. Well, like Disney before they went woke. This is a romance novel. You know, this is how it all happens. No, it does not. This is unique. Now, let's bring it back. I want to go back to Naomi. Because God never left her nor forsook her, ever. And that same promise is the same for you and I. No matter what situation you're in, no matter how bad it is, why did they leave Bethlehem in the first place? Why did they leave Bethlehem and go to the land of Moab in the first place? Why did they make those decisions? doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No matter what bad decision they made, no matter what good decision they made, the Lord never left them, ever. And the same thing's true of you and I. He is always there. He is always able and He is always willing to speak with us and to move with us and to change us. Well, let's close out the chapter now. Let's read verses 17 through 22 where it says, Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. Now, this is going to be important. His father, he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. Boaz begot Obed. Excuse me. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. Why does that matter? Because Jesus is the son of David. The Lord uniquely chooses this family in history. This has always been God's plan from the very beginning. Our frailties, our mistakes, our humanness, the things that make us human, are used to show the love and the grace of God. That he is going to take a cast off. To, in this culture, to take a Moabite woman and bring it into your family is just the worst possible thing you could possibly do ever. I mean, we don't even have a cultural way of looking at it today, thankfully, in the United States. But this is the same thing as in the 1930s in South Carolina. A white family took a black woman in into their family. That is the cultural non, what are you doing? We're going to burn the whole town down. What are you thinking situation we have here? And that's what the Lord wants to use to show his redemption. A Gentile, non-Jewish Moabite woman is redeemed and shows great faith in God and God not only chooses her, selects her, he puts her in the family line of our Redeemer and says, these are the people I'm handpicking to show my redemption story, my grace. Now, Jesus, as we know, is our kinsman Redeemer because we make bad choices. We are the ones that leave to go off to Moab. We are the ones that break the law of God. We are the ones that are just constantly wrecking everything. It reminds me of my kids. Every time I leave the house, I get home. It is a wreck, complete disaster. I don't know how you can cause that much chaos in that little amount of time. 
And that is how Jesus sees us. I don't know what it is about us and our lives, but we just can't keep from wrecking it. And yet he redeems us. Boaz redeems this family from death. Jesus redeems us from death. But he doesn't make new children. He brings us back to life. He brings us back from the property. We sold this planet to sin. We gave it to Satan. We sold it off. And then we became slaves to sin. And what is the uh, kinsman redeemer? He's supposed to bring the captive, the slave, redeem it, to buy the property back. He redeem it to bring back the family line from the dead. Jesus fulfills every one of these things. He redeems the planet, brings it back to him. He takes us and breaks the bonds of slavery through sin, brings us back to him. He brings us back from death itself. On Sunday, I was yelling at everybody about how no one is going to be with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Only he will be there because he redeems us from death. Jesus is our Goel, our Boaz, our kinsman redeemer. He's the one that leads us and comforts us, protects us, and cleans up our messes. And yes, we have to deal with the consequences. Galatians tells us God is not mocked. That as you sow, that shall you also reap. But at the same time, just like Naomi, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Our Redeemer. So the next time we sing, on Sunday, our Redeemer lives, it will have a whole new depth for you. Next week, we're going to start First Samuel, Lord willing. We're going to close out this evening in prayer, um, interceding for one another. There is so much to pray for. I think on the international front, I just I was reading rumors that there are um, talking about having a ceasefire in Israel. Ta- this is the rumor mill. There'll be a five-day ceasefire and that Israel is going to trade prison, Palestinian uh, PLO and Hamas prisoners, a three-to-one ratio for hostages to be released. I don't care what your opinion is on it. We want to pray for the peace of Israel. We want to pray for God's will. And we want to pray for families and people that are just trying to live and get their loved ones back. We want to be praying for that. We also want to be praying for the holidays. Everyone's safe and traveling. Every day I'm seeing uh, somebody dies in an accident here. Somebody's hurt in this. We want to pray for his protection. And then we definitely want to spend time just being thankful. How, How good we have it compared to the people and things that I just mentioned just now. It's incredible. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We are lifting these prayers to you, and we pray that you would guide and direct our prayers. We pray that you would have your way in Israel, Lord. We pray for souls. I know it saddens me, Lord, to know that it doesn't matter if it's Israeli soldiers or if it is Hamas insurgents, Lord. Every soul that dies without confessing you as Lord goes to hell. And that is terrifying, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, that your message would be taught well, the gospel would go forth, that people would be saved, and that we would have that eternal perspective, Lord. Lift up this nation to you. We pray for those that are in authority here. We know that you give us who you see fit to be an authority, Lord. And in this democracy, we appoint our leaders as people a double guilt. And so, Father, we pray that the hearts of your people in America would turn to you. 
and that we'd be used by you. And we thank you, Lord, just as our message said this, this evening, Lord, that you redeem us from ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray.